We're the Nada Grande Boys. I'm Rodney Wood. And I'm Kyle Jackson. Welcome to the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast where we hunt it forward. No. No. So we don't get to do a lot of podcasts with Didon. And so we Dodo! Dodo! Ten year dodo. In the house. <laughs> In, In his Dodo's house. house. <laughs> so we came up to Clovis and we already recorded one podcast and he's like, let's do another. So we were like, well, we gotta come up with the topic. And D Dunn let's and, do another. <laughs> and D Dunn says, Well, let's do a topic about how to prepare the meat. <laughs> no mom jokes included. <laughs> <laughs> Insert your own mom joke here. <laughs> Insert mom joke. Insert. That's what I did to you, mom. She's a very nice lady. Apologize uh, to any moms listening. Yeah, we love you, moms. It's a joke. Not the loving. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, she, no. doesn't, she doesn't listen to these no. anymore. Okay, I can imagine. So you guys might want to restart this. One. <laughs> no, that's too good. We've gone too far. We've gone too far. <laughs> we can't dock here. Definitely, <laughs> definitely no dock here. <laughs> I got to tell that story. I'll tell part of that story. Me and Dion used to party a lot. And we'd go to the bar in Las Cruces, but we lived in Alam Gordo, so we'd have to drive home. And we'd take turns driving. Perfectly sober driver, of course. And um, so one night we were on our way home, and I was sober, naturally. And Didon was driving sober, naturally. And, uh, man, I was tired, and I was passed out. And Didon wanted to switch drivers. And so the deal was is that we would switch at Oregon Pass. Right, yeah. I drove to Oregon Pass, you drove the rest of the way. Yeah. And so um we pull up there and he says, All right, we're here, we switch. And I took a look out the window and I said, No, no. It's no, it's good. no good. We can't we can't dock here. Keep going. <laughs> and we did I did that to you about what, five times until finally we reached the checkpoint and Alamogordo, and you were like, screw you, I'm driving all the way home. <laughs> it's definitely no, no good. We can't dock here. I think I said that at the Border Patrol. We pulled up to the Border Patrol checkpoint, and I looked out the window. It's no good. It's no good. We can't dock here. <laughs> Super excited. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty funny. Very nice. Yeah. I'm seriously, we're going to talk about... Um, Field care for your for your uh, harvest mm-hmm. and um, you know preparation, getting it home, butchering it, the whole nine yards. You you might as well just jump on it, dude. It's, yeah, you can't make that quiet. <laughs> no. No, I don't yeah. want to share chips. With this guy. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> All right, Dion, this is your idea. What's the first thing you got to do for meat preparation? Well, you know, just as we were sitting here talking before you pushed record on this, I was thinking about how many people that I know that are like, oh, deer meat's disgusting. Oh, elk meat's disgusting. Like, they they don't like it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if they don't like it, it's probably because 
it's at some point been handled incorrectly. Yes. And if you've had deer meat or oat meat that's been handled correctly and processed through and not been ran through a bandsaw and has bone marrow all over the meat, and but but meat that's taken care of, you know, uh, from the field all the way to the freezer is fantastic. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a good example of that. Perfect example is um, last year's hunt forward. We both got does, doe antelope, mm-hmm. and I, I had all growing up, I had always been told, "Antelope's horrible. It's so gamey. It's nasty. Blah blah blah." And we, when we took the back straps out of those those does, we mm-hmm. took them back, and that night we prepared them and and made some. Uh, steak tacos mm-hmm. goodness it's gracious fantastic. it was so good mm-hmm. and then and then um and i don't know a year later yeah a year later well it wasn't a full year but much later um and i don't know which portion of the antelope we were eating i don't know if she cooked them on a backstrap or hindquarter or what but uh when we got back together to do our podcast about the proclamation and taking them through it and and um helping them put in for the draw and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they graced us with another meal from that antelope, um, just a different kind of taco, and it was still fantastic. Well, it was ground, ground meat uh-huh. rather than steak, but it was, again, like I said, very, very, very good. Yeah, it, it was fantastic. <clears throat> you, you know, as much as, my, as much as I hunt, both of my boys have only ever been raised on wild game. Mm-hmm. We, we don't buy store-bought meat. Mm-hmm. Because I fill the freezer. Why? It, it's it's better for you. It tastes better. There's no hormone. It's just so much more flavorful. Yeah. And so they don't they don't even know what store bought meat is. Mm-hmm. So two weeks ago, I was at the store getting groceries, and they had brisket on sale. And I was like, you know what? I'm a new bachelor. I could do a brisket without screwing that up. So I buy a store-bought brisket. Why, I don't know, because I've got a whole freezer full of meat, you know. So I come in, I put the brisket on, I cook it for like 10 hours. And it was fall apart. It was awesome. I put it on the table, and the boys, before they even took a bite, they were like, something doesn't smell right. And I was like, that's fine, you know, it's brisket, you guys like it. We made some tacos out of it. And they took one bite, and they were like, can we have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? They absolutely wouldn't eat it. And because they've been used to eating wild game forever. I was like, yeah, absolutely. So my $13 brisket um, from the store went in the trash because I didn't like it. They didn't like it. It's because they've always had game meat that's yeah. been processed correctly. And, and Well, and that's, and that's the question there is whether it was, you know, handled correctly, how, you know, um, I buying meat from the store was new to me when I went to college and, mm-hmm. and, and it was very sparse even then because even growing up, we, we raised our own butcher, beef, yep. our own beef. And I, you know, I'm an advocate for the ag industry, for the beef industry. Um, grew up in it, have a lot of friends who that's what they do. You know, my brother cowboys for a living. And so, uh, <clears throat> to say that, you know, <clears throat> that you should only eat wild game, I, I, I'm gonna have me a ribeye for yeah exactly I love beef too but the fact is that's that's exactly right is um, you know when you get store-bought 
so I, I've had that. I've had that happen. I've you know bought a a roast or, or a steak and you cook it and you're like, something's not right there, man. That doesn't <laughs> taste very good, you know. It, it's definitely a different taste, you know. And, and so one of the things that I'll say is there's a lot of people that say, oh, there it, it doesn't taste gamey if you cook it. Yes, it does. It it's all it's going to different. have. It doesn't taste like a beef. Game yeah. taste. So it, it depends but on that's that that doesn't doesn't mean that that taste is bad. It it's just a different taste. So here's the here's the thing, and it all comes back to what is your definition of gamey? Mm-hmm. Because wild game has a taste because it's wild game. Yeah. What most people are thinking about when they say it tastes gamey is poorly handled meat that that has a twang to it mm-hmm. because it wasn't prepared pop properly it wasn't field dressed properly it got tainted in some form or fashion somebody got shot it didn't clean it right mm-hmm. and that's what most people are thinking about whenever they say it tastes gamey well, so when rodney says it's gonna taste gamey what he means is says it, taste it tastes like game meat right which yes. is delicious if prepared right mm-hmm. correct correct you know the worst piece of meat that I've that I can ever remember having. Um, somebody was telling me that they had deer meat and it was terrible, and I was like, I mean, I, "I'm I, let's do this." So, I'm not much of a cook, but I cooked it up, and it was it was cut, it was left bone in. Somebody ran it through through a saw, had not taken the muscle covering off, those type of things, and the bone marrow was all over the meat. You could see it. And I'm like, I cooked it up and it was, it was absolutely the worst piece of meat I had ever had. It's deer meat. I love deer meat. But it was because at some point, it may have been the bone marrow, I don't know. But at some point, something was done with that meat that was just absolutely done wrong. And you couldn't eat it. So So, here's where where I'm going to go, you know. If, if we're going to talk about preparation of, of game meat, it starts with your shot. That's where it starts because there's some hunts that are, and some species that require a certain temperature. So, so I, I would argue, and not to cut you off here, but I'm going to. <laughs> no, I would argue it starts before the shot uh, because of how what was the animal's behavior before the shot are they running you know do they have adrenaline pumping through them because that can absolutely absolutely cause that gamey taste but i think what you're talking about is that whole process yeah 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 and that's what i'm what i was kind of getting at you know if it's a hot day um you're probably not going to want to take a shot on an animal that is going to require a long time to process mm-hmm. uh, a larger animal like an elk or something like that a in five the, mile hike out in the heat of the day yeah sure you know so so that's kind of where it begins is as far as processing it in the field is that shot you know are you going to have the time to get it gutted to get it quartered to get it out and get it to a place where it can be processed um, so that's kind of where it starts for me, um, is right there. You want to make sure that you do have the time and the means, the help, uh, the shade, whatever it is, 
to get that done <clears throat> before your meat goes bad. You know, and so that's knowing your knowing your query, knowing what you're hunting. You know, is it is it an is it an antelope that you can throw you over say, your shoulder? Did you say query? Quarry. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> that what quarry. Flintstone worked in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and you know, is it an antelope that you can throw over your shoulder and get out? Uh, is it an elk that's going to require multiple trips? Is there shade nearby? Is there water nearby? You know, and then also shot placement. Um, a gut shot animal is going to take. <clears throat> dang, I can't talk. A gut shot animal is going to take uh, different steps. It's going to need different steps to make sure that it's uh, cleaned properly. More thorough cleaning, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's kind of where it starts. Is is you know before you even take that shot, knowing can I handle this animal? as it needs to be. And if you're out there hunting for meat, that absolutely has to be a consideration. It almost takes precedence. Yeah. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, I was over by Cloudcroft and you weren't with me for some reason. I don't remember where you were at. You were probably poaching. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> certainly wasn't it. I am <laughs> almost <laughs> certain it was not that. <laughs> 83% says that that's what but anyways i uh had a shot on an elk and and uh it was a great elk and i text my brother and i was like you're the closest person to me before i drop the hammer on this do you have the ability to come help me because this thing's in here it's going to take me a long time to get it out before i drop the hammer are you available and he's like i can be there in 30 minutes i was like it's on and so I know you wouldn't believe this, but I did kill the elk. He was at outside of 10 yards. But, um, yeah, got the elk down, and my brother drove the ranger up there. We, we were able to recover it, and we were able to get it the processor. Um, all the things that you need to do to, to have quality meat. Mm -hmm. yeah. so. And that's another consideration. You know, are, are you taking it to a processor, or are you handling it all yourself? Because that makes a difference on what you're going to do in the does absolutely you know yeah for sure so <clears throat> so when you look at um from there you, you know you let's let's get to the point where you've got the animal down you you've uh killed that animal you got him on the ground from that point uh your most I, I would argue your most critical task is getting the the guts out of that animal. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is it removes a huge chunk of what is creating heat. And there's three different things that are going to spoil your meat. Heat, dirt, and moisture. Um, here in New Mexico, we very seldom have to worry about the moisture part. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on whenever you get it in a cooler. That's where the moisture part comes in. We do have to worry oftentimes about the heat because even in uh, September, October, you can have 70, 80 degree days. It, it just kind of depends on the year. The other thing you have to worry about is dirt and, and included in that is, is flies and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, and something that I, I know that both of us and Deedon as well that we do 
to combat that is we carry a tarp with us in our pack mm -hmm. for just that purpose. So, so really, you know, I said it starts with the shot, but it also starts with your preparation, your preparation and what you're going to take with you um, when you go out into the field. Um, you know, we had that tarp when we processed my deer last year, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it was a lifesaver. Yeah, yeah, because you can keep your tools, um, your your stuff like that up off the ground, uh, out of the dirt. We did it the same with the girls' antelopes um, with our 100 forward participants last year. When you quarter it, when you quarter it and you pull off a hind quarter, it gives you a place to lay lay the meat so it's not in the dirt, um, things like that. So game bags game bags very light very easy to pack you mm -hmm. know what whatever you're doing it's it does start with preparation absolutely yeah. absolutely and so those those are the three main consideration considerations that you're looking for when you're field dressing that animal um everything you do after that is based on how clean you can actually keep that animal mm -hmm. um no matter which what what way you do it and so this is a this is an interesting story about the different ways that people do it. Um, last year with Hunt It Forward, when we hung hung that antelope in the tree, uh, I'd always hung them with their back legs up. And Rodney, you always hang them with their head up. Mm -hmm. And so... It was it was a lot of how you had been taught to hang it, but one of the and and not to say that it wasn't a consideration that I'd had, but it was one that needed to be pointed out to those those girls who had never done that before. Um, Rodney was talking about this is the why I do it the way that I do it, and and you can go ahead and take over on that, Rodney. Yeah. Um, so well, to even to back up just a little bit, you know, on the, on those we we had shot two antelope that weekend and we did both of them you know the, the first one we got we did it on the ground on mm -hmm. the tarp right um, and then the second one we we got and just to show them the multiple different ways well and because we had the and we can we had the means we had but a, we, we had a tree there well we, that we could took that antelope to a tree exactly you know we took the we went and found a tree because we wanted to show them hey this is what you do to hang it up and this is how you do it in the air and this is how you do it on the ground it was you know we were teaching um, but yeah, so predominantly the reason that we hung them that way is because we were hunting, the, the majority of what we hunted as kids growing up was mule deer. Mm -hmm. And we'd hang them by the horns. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now they've got all kinds of the, you know, the little fancy spreader hooks and stuff that you can hook them by the back legs and you can hook them by the front legs. But that was just the way I was taught. Um, the other thing, the other uh, uh, reason benefit that i brought up to doing it that way is because you've got it cut open and you got it cut open all the way through the pelvis and it gives it a really good way to drainage drain to drain the, the blood now if you cut the head off you have the same you effect. have the same effect upside down yeah you know i was talking to to a guy that was doing european mounts and i don't know if it's true or not but um he did a couple european mounts for me and and uh that was the first thing he did. He was like, I want that animal hung head up whenever we were skinning it. And I said, why? And he said, if it's hung upside down, he said, they, it leaves more blood traces and it's hard for me to get a skull clean. And I was like, I've never even thought about that. Why? 
yeah. That's and, where it drains to, right? Yeah, it's it's where all the blood drains to. And he didn't want to clean it up. And I was like, that makes all the sense in the world. And I had never, that had never been a consideration in my entire life. Do you hang them up or down? I always hang them head up. Head up. I, and uh, I'd always done the same thing. I don't know why. I'd always hang but it, them but it's, head, it's, head down because I, my dad always had the hooks. The, the but but it's kind of like yeah. kind of like gutting, you know. I've seen a bunch of different people use different methods on gutting it. Mm-hmm. The end result, it doesn't matter. Get the guts out of it. Get them out right now. Yeah. Same thing with skinning them. It doesn't matter if they're head up, head down. Get the skin off of that. We, we yeah we done the gutless method on uh, Kyle's elk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't gut that elk. No. We we thank God. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we just skinned. We it. split it down the back. Took the back straps off of it, skinned it yeah. down both sides, took the quarters, took took the neck and the rib meat, and the inner loins, and you can do all of that. So again, th- this is an example of no one method is right, uh, as long as you're keeping in mind those three critical elements. Keep the dirt off it. Keep the dirt, off, heat, it. Keep the it dirt off it. Keep and keep the moisture out of it. Yeah. Um, there's no one specific way that you have to do it. Uh, you know. The gutless method is you don't you don't deal with any of the guts. You mm-hmm. skin it back from the backbone down. Of course, um, this doesn't work very well if you're wanting to do a full mount on it. But uh, if you're just looking for meat, it's a great way to do it because you can get to all those meat cuts and never even touch the dirty parts. There are yeah, there are people if if you're if you're after the heart and the liver and the call fat, um, the gutless method is not. The way for you no but uh again it's all preference um like kyle said the the you know and, and knowing your quarry because like an elk you're gonna want to get the hide off i don't care how cold it is you want to get that hide off yep that, that goes um, back to heat and you know even if even if it's super cold and freezing you want to get the hide off because taking a hide off of a frozen animal is miserable Absolutely. But conversely, a mule deer, if it's cold enough, you can leave the hide on. It's not something that you have to take off. You just got to get them open, get the guts out, get it rinsed out, and get it spread open. You know, you want to get a stick or something in that rib cage and get it spread open, get it hung up in a place where some air is going to circulate around it, get it dried out, and, and get it cooled off. But it's not something that you have to tear that hide off right away. Um, I'm not sure about antelope. Um, I, I've always I've always taken the hide off of them right away. I like to take the hide off just because you get rid of like, all that freaking hair. Oh I, I like to get the hide off of anything, anything as quick as I can yeah. because, like Kyle was saying, it's it's heat. It's something that keeps the heat in. You're correct. Let, but, but if it's cool enough, you can leave the sure. hide on a deer. You know, I remember we've, my... We've done it a ton of... Yeah, I, I remember my granddad. That was, that was what on. they did. They hung them and let them hang for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was... It, you know, back then, I remember my granddad. There's two feet of snow on the ground yeah, all the time during deer season. If and it's, if it's, we were hunting this last November in yeah. t-shirts and shorts and if rattlesnakes. If it's 60, 70 degrees, you want to get the height off of anything. Mm-hmm. But if it's 40 degrees, you know, 30 to 40 degrees, you can leave the height on a deer. But it also does something. It protects that meat. It, it has a, you know, protective coating over the meat if you're going to hang it for a there, few days too. There's, there's a trade-off there. So, yeah. mm. Anything that you leave on for for longer than it's warm is going to be tougher to skin. 
but the trade-off is <clears throat> if you're going to have to haul that animal along ways, mm -hmm. it is going to prevent that meat from getting dirty. Yep. And so those are the trade-offs that you have to weigh against each other is would I rather uh, sit there and try and wash a bunch of dirt off or more likely what's going to happen is you're going to have to cut a bunch of meat off because it's extremely difficult to get dirt out of the fat and everything mm -hmm. once mm -hmm. you skin an animal. My, my deer last year, perfect example. Yep. He left the hide on because we were dragging it out. Exactly. You're not going to take the hide off if you're dragging it out. You know, it's your situation is going to kind of dictate that. The most important thing is getting those guts out, getting that inside rinsed out as much as you can, um, and getting it air, getting that air in there to get it started to drying out and cooling off. Yeah. And that's the nice thing, you know, D-Don mentioned game bags. That's the nice thing about game bags is that they do two things. Uh, mm -hmm. They protect from dirt, but it, it's a covering over the, over the meat to protect from dirt, but it does, um, it does not have the properties of the hide because it breathes. It's mm -hmm. a breathable cloth, and so you have the benefits of dissipating the heat and keeping it from, from getting dirty. Mm -hmm. One of the drawbacks to a game bag, you get it wet, it stays wet because it's, it's right there on, on, on the track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. You know, another thing to consider is insects. You know, depending on the time of year that you're hunting, if it's real cold, you're probably not going to have many. But if it's fairly warm. If you're um, bow hunting in September, yeah. you're probably going to have flies. Yeah, you're probably going to have flies. So it's a good thing. You know, I carry pepper uh, because you just sprinkle the pepper all over that deer or elk or whatever, just coat it in pepper. And it helps keep those flies off. It tastes delicious. It tastes, <laughs> it's pre-seasoning, man. Marinade, baby. Marinade. Marinade. So coming back to, so we've, we've pretty well covered uh, the heat portion of it. You know, those, those guts are really important. If you're not going to take those, the meat off of the carcass um, right away, then you want to get it gutted because um, those guts hold hold so much heat. They've got a lot of moisture in them. That moisture holds heat and then and you you've got to get that out of the, out of the animal. Um, we've talked about dirt, the different things to consider with dirt. Um, the moisture thing I would imagine most places other than New Mexico and the, and the desert southwest, though that's something you're going to have to consider. If you leave it for any amount of time with any amount of humidity, um, moisture mold. is going to breed all kinds of bad things, bacteria, mold, uh, all, the, all that stuff. The one thing you have to consider here is we're trying to cool that meat off. And so uh, oftentimes people will take that and they'll throw it in a cooler and they'll throw a bunch of ice on top of that. Yeah, put the ice in the bottom. Put your meat on top. Exactly. Of the ice. What happens is that ice then melts because you put it on top of a warm quarter that, that has some heat in it. That ice is gonna eventually melt and it's gonna create a level of water in the bottom that your meat is sitting in, and it's gonna be horrible. <laughs> if you've ever had waterlogged meat and and it just it's just not good. So the best way to do that put your ice in the bottom. And just lay that meat on top, and it and it will cool it off sufficiently. Yeah, and I want to go back to to the hide. Um, another thing, you know, we were talking about gamey taste earlier. Um, in in elk 
and particularly mule deer on their hind legs on the inside, uh, right about the knee, they have those glands. The metatarsal glands? Yeah, your metatarsals. And the, those things off, give off a great odor, particularly on mule deer. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna you know, skin your deer out in the not field. A, not, a, not a great odor as in you want to smell it, a powerful <laughs> odor. As in, it's going to taint your meat. Yes. So, and your hands, and your, your clothes, hands, and clothes. your so, nostrils. Yeah, so one of the first things you want to get rid of when you're going to, if you're going to take the hide off your animal is those. Mm-hmm. And then after you do, wash your hands the best you can. If you can wear gloves, it's great because you can, you can put your, you know, your rubber gloves, your latex gloves on. You can remove that and, uh, and then dispose of those gloves get you a new set. and get you a new set before you actually start handling the meat because... If you get that on your hands and then you touch that meat, it's going to transfer to your meat. And well, I don't it's care how much, yeah, I don't care how much you wash it, it's going to be there. And then when you eat it, you're going to taste it. Mm-hmm. So that's important. Um, and then with elk, you know, especially like if you're hunting during the rut, they're pissing on themselves all day. They've got that smell all over them. So if you're handling that hide before you handle the meat, you've got to either wash your hands or another very very nice smell is is elk in the rut. Yeah, it's, it's, it's odiferous, <laughs> you, extremely odiferous. It's so odiferous you can use it to locate elk. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if you're if you're downwind from them, you can go. <laughs> there they are. Yep. Yeah. You know, and other species have the same things. You know, the best thing that you can do is to read up on on that kind of stuff. Um, comes back to your preparation, knowing mm-hmm. what your quarry is, and, and what you're hunting, and, and where their anatomy basically. Yeah. Uh, and and it, and it serves to serves other things, you know. Um, if you've never hunted orcs before, um, you would not know that they have ten times more guts than God ever meant to an animal to have, <laughs> <laughs> and and that their vitals are pushed much farther forward. Than mm-hmm. normal everyday ungulates like elk and deer that, that we're used to, and so you pretty much have to shoot them through the shoulder and to hit any of the vitals because your normal placement of shot, you know, a broadside shot on like an elk, mm-hmm. is not going to do the job. Yeah, ne- if, neck shot's not going to do exactly, the job. If, exactly. If you're going for lungs, particularly, you know the the the, the lungs, which is a preferred shot for me, um, is behind the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Right, where the heart is further up in between the shoulders on on deer, orcs. elk, stuff like that. But on oryx, it's all pushed up in there. Mm-hmm. And one of the bad parts about that is oryx are one of the animals that actually has a lot of front shoulder meat. As a, you know, you're not going to find as much meat on your deer and your elk in the front shoulders. Not not to the extent that you're going to find on them hindquarters, but them oryx have a lot of meat up in that front shoulder. And you've got to punch through it to get their dang vitals. Unless you can get the best shot to me on an Oryx is quartering away. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you can go behind that front shoulder and then come out in front of that off shoulder. Um, Or lodge it on the back side of that shoulder because they got freaking thick shoulder blades. Oryx was the strangest thing I've ever gutted because there's no smell of like animal at all. I've killed three of them. They. They don't smell like other animals, like whenever you're getting them. But the amount of guts that are inside of them is just <laughs> unbelievable. They have a very large body cavity. It, it, it's not that. they. God gave them too many guts. 
Yeah. Well, I would I would imagine that the reason for that is if you look at the environment that they thrive in, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot to eat. Right. So they got to have a lot of guests to process the crap that they got to eat. Yeah. yeah. You know, but the 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 oryx uh, absolutely the best meat I've ever oh, had. Delicious. There's nothing better than oryx. So good. And same thing, I had some oryx meat that the guy said was unedible, and I'm like. No, you had to have done something. Yeah, well, you took a shit in the yeah, middle of the there's, there's, there's something yeah, there's, bad went wrong. Yeah, and you took and shit and went, <laughs> all over everything. Because yeah. I'm gonna protect. Uh, the, yeah, but the Oryx is just delicious. And, and same thing. I mean, as soon as you tasted it, it smelled dead. Mm. It it smelled like. It had turned. It, it they had waited too long, yeah. and it was it was sour meat. There and was, that is and that is one of those where you have got to get it processed quickly because they live in arid, hot environments. He had a August or September hunt. I mean, yeah. it was one of those really early hundred degree and, days. Oh, and brutal. So I drew one of those tags a couple of years ago. That was uh, what they used to call the badge hunt, mm-hmm. and I knew that, and I had Yeti coolers full of ice bags. And as soon as we got that out down, we got the guts out of it. Oryx. Oryx. Had it stuffed full of ice bags. And we were headed to the processor. You know, we're trying to cool it down. Because it's August. I mean, it's... But... uh, I think we just caught him poaching. He shot an elk in August. uh, (laughs) On the missile range. No. (laughs) With an employee's badge. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What, What about... What about guts? Do people... I mean, my grandma used to eat heart, liver, kidney, everything. I think it's making a comeback. Really? Uh, Yeah, there's some... I was going to ask you, I mean, in the field, do you see... Most of the time, no. The everyday hunter, um, they're not going to mess with that. There's there's somewhat of a stigma against that stuff, which is weird. I I haven't had it. Uh, I actually... um, might try some just based off of uh i'm doing it this year some of the recent you know i'll I'll give props you know steve ranella does a a great job the meteor uh guy does a great job of presenting those cuts of meat in a way that um you don't cringe at it and Mm -hmm. think think bad of it and so i am absolutely open to trying it i'd never thought of it before just because i didn't grow up that way we didn't we didn't take the heart you know, we didn't we didn't do that stuff, but um, he's done a great job of exposing a lot of people to not wasting those those types of things. And maybe it's not for me. You know, maybe like for me personally, I think I can do heart. It's a muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tongue. I would try it. I'm gonna try it. But I. I have reservations about it. You know, I've uh, my mom has eaten everything. I mean, she used to cook everything. Oh, if, yeah. if there was a... My grandma always said, how you cook kidneys is you boil the piss out of them. <laughs> and, I mean, <laughs> they, they ate everything. Well, you yeah. Know? And, and it was a different era. So, I, I don't personally care for heart. It's, it, I think it's tougher than it needs to be i think it's chewier i I don't like it but i like liver Mm -hmm. fresh liver i don't like frozen liver but i like fresh liver 
and it again if it's taken care of and prepared and you know it doesn't it's not rolled around in the dirt and all, all of those things i like liver and everybody eats liver and onions and i hate onions with the intensity of a thousand suns i hate onions and but my mom used to take that and she cut it up chicken fry it and it's awesome yeah my, my mom's favorite meal is liver and onions oh. uh, you can pay me to eat that no no I don't eat. I don't. I don't. I don't like liver. I've I've had deer liver. I don't like it. I've had deer heart. I do. I don't mind deer heart. But um, I am going to. I'm going to branch out and try some things. And like you said, it may not be for me, but I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, sh- I shot a buffalo a couple of months ago in northern New Mexico, and um, my mom. You know, I I call her and I was like, Hey, I got got a buffalo and. She's like, I want the heart and liver. And I was like, okay. Well, I cut out the heart of, of that thing, and it's roughly the size of a basketball. Yes. I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> do you know what this – I don't know what it weighed, 10 pounds? It was huge. And yeah, you had at least uh, two months' worth of steaks out of that thing. Oh, yeah, it was unbelievable. And, and the liver was probably, I don't know, 20 pounds. It was huge. Yeah. And – she thought, I mean, that was the best thing I've ever given her was this gigantic heart and gigantic liver. And I'm like, okay, you know, have fun. But I didn't know if that was, that was something that, that there was, you know, I, a I cult think, following around. I or... think it's, I think that's a good way to describe it is, is a cult following. Um, for, for the mainstream there, it, it's not, it's not normal, but that's hard to say. It's hard to make that definitive line in the sand of yeah there's not a whole lot of people who do that because unless you all you have to draw from is your your group of friends or your acquaintances and you know there's that same thing as far as bear meat you're not in the state of new mexico you're not required to take the meat from a bear out and for human consumption most people don't. However, I have met numerous people who have said, yeah, if you get a bear, let me know. I love bear meat. Is, is, is there a difference between spring bear and, and winter bear? I've heard that there is. Um, I don't know about that because we only have places. the one spring hunt in New Mexico. We have the Vivadol. You have to draw the Vivadol tag to get a spring bear uh, tag. And... It's it's a tough hunt. I wish we had, I wish we had a spring bear hunt across the state. I think it would, uh, and this is kind of diverging from the topic that we're on, but I think it would alleviate some of our uh, problems that we have every year with with bears coming out of hibernation and, and getting into problems. Yeah. Um, that being said, th- there is an a market difference between let's say a town dumpster bear and a bear that's been gorging himself on acorns i will not sell a bear that's that i killed that has been in dumpsters eaten out of dumpsters because that just sounds absolutely gross to me Uh, and that's from personal experience you know we we had uh i don't know if you remember rodney when i brought though Ty killed that uh, wild hog that was up at Mayhill. Mm-hmm. I brought it down to a, a tailgate for one of the football games at college. And that 
those hogs had been in the apple orchard. And that was the sweetest meat you ever mm-hmm. tasted in your life. And again, um, I firmly believe in what 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 they're eating. That's what they're going to taste like. Yeah. You know, uh, out on my granddad was a range rider out at White Sands, and mm-hmm. he had he, uh, they had taken a deer or something out there that was uh, um, had been eating juniper berries mm-hmm. out there on the Miss Range, and that thing was absolutely unedible. Yeah. And it just because of what it tasted like gin. <laughs> yeah, the diet, you know, there's a lot of people that say that about turkey. You know, the, the spring turkey, there are a lot of people that aren't fans of spring turkey because of eating it because they've been, been eating bugs all year. Mm-hmm. But the fall turkey, you know, they've been eating a lot of other stuff, you know, acorns and stuff like that. So there are a lot of people that say that the fall turkey is much better to eat than the spring turkey. Um, to answer your bear question, you know, a, a bear where that has access to lots of berries, they say is extremely sweet um, because it's been eating tons of berries. Um, as opposed to a bear that's eating a ton of fish, they don't taste near as good. So, but back to your original, you know, back to the original question and the original topic we were on, I think just a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with how you, how you handle and prepare that meat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think outside of a town bear, you know, bear that's, that's been out and in the wild has um, been eating, especially in, in my mind, a fall bear. I, I would think a fall bear probably tastes better simply because they've been packing on fat. Mm-hmm. They've been packing on fat. They've been eating acorns, you know, a spring bear, you're going to, a lot of what they're going to be eating is new, new growth, new emergence, and and carry on, you know, dead animals that they find from winter kill. Mm -hmm. And so nothing to back it up, but my personal opinion is I, I, I would think that a fall bear is probably going to taste better just because they've been packing on that fat. They've been eating all kinds of different stuff. Um, you know, they're omnivores, and oftentimes they've, they've been eating it, the acorns. And so, um, again, I think a lot of it, I think, boils down to how did you handle the meat and how was it prepared? Yeah. Yeah, and cooking, it's a big deal. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we started talking about processors, and, you know, I've had really good processors, and I've had some that I'm like, whoa, that cost me a deer to learn not to use that guy yeah and i i think reputation is a huge thing if you're going to do a processor so i think there's two things to that and and rodney you might back me up on this but i think if you um if you have the time and you have the facility it's always better to process it yourself because you're going to take more care absolutely and, and you're going to be able to uh, get the cuts that you want and um, really take the time to process that meat the way that you want it. Outside of that, if you're going to take it to a processor, there's a couple things that I, I would absolutely suggest. Um, one is, is ask around. Reputation is a big one because, and the more people you ask, the better. Uh, if you've got a lot of people who are suggesting a certain processor and say that they're really good and they really keep everything clean and handle the meat well, um, re you know put some stock into that uh the second thing is once you if you if you can't ask around or 
even if you do ask around, ground verify that. Go to the processor and kind of, if you're able to, if they'll allow you to, look around the facility and you're going to find out real quick yeah. how clean they are, how they handle their animals. There are a couple of processors up by where I live. There's one I would never, ever, ever, if take it was the to. last choice I had... I'm cutting it up myself. Yeah, I would not take it to them. Well, yeah, just simply because of the state of their facility. You're you're absolutely right. There's two things that I look at. If, if you can't, like you said, if you can't verify, if you can't talk to people and find out, there's there's two things that I do. Number one, I'm gonna see your facility. When I take that animal there, I'm gonna look around. I'm gonna see how clean your shop is, how clean are your tables, how clean are your knives, you know. And I'm gonna look at these things to determine. The other thing. And this sounds weird, though, is price. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of this stuff, though, you can do before you go hunting. If you know that you're going to take it to a processor, find out where are where all the processors are that you're where in the area that you're going to be hunting, mm-hmm. and do that research beforehand because mm-hmm. that's going to save you. Um, a lot of times, you may be planning on doing it yourself, but then something happens, and you well, I'm going to take it to the processor, and then you're kind of you know you're up wing, you're winging it. So. But the other thing is price. Um, if a guy is really cheap, maybe for a reason. And I know, you know, I know that we're not all made of money, but if a guy's just super cheap, it's probably for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, because a good processor, one that's going to do a good job, clean, all of that stuff, he's probably not going to be that cheap because a lot of people are going to be using him. He knows so, it. And then, but and then the third thing is be very, very specific about your instructions. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to tell them, don't use a bandsaw on my animal. Mm-hmm. Cut it off the bone. I want the casing, the, the, muscle, the muscle covering. covering cut off. You know, I want it packaged, you know, like this. I want it cut in these cuts. I want this much put in, you know, all be very, very specific. They're going to, a good processor will have a good list of you know options for you but go above and beyond that get very specific and if they know what you're talking about and they're agreeable to that that's another sign that they're a good processor um, you know the best processor I ever uh, that I uh, and I still use him if I if I killed something literally in Minnesota I would figure out a way to get it on on ice and I would take it to this guy because he's phenomenal Absolutely does the best job of anybody I've ever been. But he charges, and most most processors, you know, will charge you on hanging weight. That's how they, this guy charges you on finished weight. Mm-hmm. And it's vastly higher, but you he does everything he can to get you all the meat that he can. And just a completely different experience, completely different thought process around being a processor. His facility... Honestly, if he dropped a steak on the ground, I, I would be okay. He would pick it up. He wouldn't. But if he picked it up and re- washed it off and repackaged it, I wouldn't totally be opposed to that. Yeah. I mean, I've done worse things in my life. Let's, <laughs> let's just be honest. So, I've done worse <laughs> things with my meat in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Insert your own. But, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, th- this guy's place is absolutely phenomenal. Top-notch. Not a... Butcher shop anywhere in the world has 
has a better facility. I like I like the finish weight. Um, there's a guy that we've used before that that has the finish weight rather than the hanging weight. I like that as well. Um, it all kind of comes out to the same, you know. If if you if you figure it out, I, and I've done the calculations, because um, that's what I do. Because that's what Rodney does. Uh, it comes out to the same, but um, the, so there's one one thing that you hear a lot, and we're not really this this podcast isn't really supposed to be about processors, uh, but one thing that I do hear a lot is they're gonna keep all your meat. No, they're not. They have so many every processor that I've ever been into. They have so many elk that get left, mm-hmm. so many deer that get left. Mm-hmm. That what they do, literally, quite literally, is if somebody brings in that's got both front shoulders just completely shot out, they bring in their deer, both both front shoulders are just completely ruined with bullet holes, and they don't think that they're going to get that much meat off their deer. These processors are going to go to the deer that got left and the dude didn't pay for and they're going to get that meat, and they're going to fill your order. Yeah. With it. They're going to give you meat that didn't come off of your deer because they have all the meat that they need. Yeah. And that's another, again, there's not a podcast about processors, but it is a podcast about, uh, you know, treating the meat correctly and, and doing everything, everything that you can to make it um, edible, to, to treat it right. Another mark of a good processor is, and I think I think we might have all been there, um, where you've got an animal that you know is right there on the edge that that you you know whether it was early in your life or or whether it was just you had a long way to take this animal, um, but I I have seen processors and I totally respect them by telling you know somebody brings one in they say. I cannot process this. I can't. It, you do not want this meat. Mm-hmm. And they'll do what they can to make it right and say, hey, look, I've got this one that was left. I'll sell you yeah. that. But I don't, I'm, I'm not going to put my name on this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, hard to, that's hard to gauge. I understand that. But, but uh, you know, if you've got a processor in your community, you're going to hear stories like that. Sure. So back to, back to field processing, you know, we've, we've got a skin now. Um, what's your, what's your process for hanging deer, Dedon? What do you, cause I like to hang mine for a couple of weeks if it's golden. You, you know, and, and it, I, I'm at a point in life that my time is worth something to me. So I've decided it's not worth my time to try to process, mm-hmm. especially just me by myself. It's not worth it. I get an elk. There's no physical way that I have time in my week to sit down and go, oh, I have six, eight, 10, 12 hours to, to cut up elk. So I'm going to, I'm going to take it to a professional that knows what he's doing. I've, I'm sure that it's cooled. I'm sure that it's taken care of and, and properly done. If I do it here at the house, the odds of me screwing it up are probably very high. But, you know, the, the the processor that I told you that I'll take anything to, he lets everything hang a minimum 16 days. He, he lets it hang in his shop. It's on a rail. He lets it hang. 
before he ever starts cutting on it. So it, it, it ages in there. And I think it does make all the difference in the world. You know, my, you hear about aged beef. It, it, there has to be something to it. But I think it does make a difference. Well, scientifically, there is something to it. Mm-hmm. So what aging does, and, and, and if you don't know what we're talking about, it's the hanging. You, you let it hang in, a, in cool storage for a, a certain period of time. The longer that you hang that animal, the more the muscle fibers start to break down. And it creates a more tender mm-hmm. animal. Now, there is a point at which uh, you can let it hang too long and it starts going bad. Well, you lose... So, when you when you do that, you, lose, there's, you get that dry, hard film on the outside. and you, So, you have to cut that off. Yeah. So... You start losing meat. Losing yes. meat, yep. Yeah. You know, so you're right. You're absolutely right. There is a point where you can hang it too long. And so it, if you... Uh, there are people who... And, and you look in the old days, and they didn't have cold storage. They didn't have air-conditioned units. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a, a well house, and they would hang it in the well house. Salt and, pack. And they would salt it. Um, there's lots of different ways... They would cure it. There's lots of different ways to preserve meat, but for the most part, what happens now is exactly what Dito's talking about. Most processors will keep it a minimum of five to ten days. If you would like them to keep it longer, coming back to Rodney's statement, you need to specify. Specify. I would like you to hang it yeah. for 16, 20 days. It's that's something I'm very specific about because a lot of processors. Um, and, and it's not a fault of their own, but they've got a lot of animals coming in. And they're just trying, so to, pro- they're they're just trying, trying to, to get through it. trying to get it out the door. And if they have to let yours hang for a long time, but, you know, it come, that comes back to it. If you've got a guy that says, you know, I, I won't hang this more than five days, I'm going to take it somewhere else. Yep. Because I won't mind to hang for a while. If I'm going to take it to a processor, that's a, uh, uh, an amenity that I you're paying for. want. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm the opposite of you. I, I hate taking... A deer or an elk to a processor and it's not because I have to pay for it and it's not because um, I don't think that they'll do a good job it's just like I want to do it myself it's it's a connection um, you know it's the whole package right now I don't right now for the past couple of years I've been taking my animals to a processor because I don't have the facilities you know the wife tends to get a little salty when you throw a dead elk on the kitchen table. Funny that, right? So maybe that's why my wife left me. Maybe not. But but yeah, so, you know. But but yeah. So I, I I'm the same way. I like to hang a deer for two weeks, you know, if possible. Um, you know, when we started this, I didn't think that there would be that much discussion around the processor. Yeah. And that that's been a big topic of this well, conversation. Well, so so here's here's the interesting they're, part they're, of that. It has the, to be a big discussion because they're the experts in their field. They are the experts in their field, but more than that, if you look at there there are a ton of people and it's I think it's becoming more so there are a ton of people out there who are just like you. They value their time and so they are going to pay for someone to do that for them. Um, and more than that there's probably a lot more people out there who just don't have the skills or not confident in their skills to process themselves. 
Oh, I can tell you. Brings I worked, you back to the every everyday hunter. Everyday hunter. That's I, wor- right. I worked at a, at a processor there uh, for oh, six months before, when I, I got back from Japan and I, I was getting ready to head back to college and I worked for the processor. And I'm not Japan. a Nobu Sekanoichi. <laughs> for our Chinese sl- listeners. Thanks for, well, Japanese. Yeah. Thanks for slipping that in. Um, but at, at a certain... Insert mom joke. <laughs> At a certain point, I was processing 80 elk a day. But it's been so long now, like I could muddle my way through it, but I would probably mess up some meat and it would, you know, what should be a steak or a uh, roast might turn into stew meat or jerky just because I don't do it enough anymore. And most people out there are like that. They don't have the facility or the knowledge to do it if you can good on you absolutely if you can't understand that you're paying for somebody else's they're paying for you to save your time yeah. just like you were talking about you know when i was well, when i was a kid i remember that that was a family event mm-hmm. yes. we, we killed a deer mm-hmm. and it was grandma and grandpa and and the kids and everybody i mean i was six years old and i was running the meat grinder you know yeah. i i could do that Take all of the the not so good stuff and put it in there and crank the handle. You know. Fortunately, they call me Stubby now. That's <laughs> I have all ten digits. <laughs> Damn, I had a. I had a but that now. that was a family event. Yeah. And we could do it in a in a night or two. You know, and we'd pat, mm-hmm. and then everybody took a you know a, a piece of it, mm-hmm. and it was it was. It was family time. I, I don't have that family time now. There's no way I could even possibly put that into my schedule. Yeah. So, t- to me, it's whatever it costs, it's worth it. Now, now it is interesting because I think you're starting to see a return to that, particularly with the people that we are interested in that are getting into hunting because they want to know where their food came from. They want to know how it was processed. And those people are, with all the technology out there... They they are returning to those old skills. YouTube which is, that shit. What's that? YouTube that shit. Yeah, which is fantastic <laughs> because mm-hmm. those are skills that you, we don't want to lose as a hunting community, and so it's great to see that resurgence of people interested in processing their own. I know uh, Emily and Adrian they wanted to know how to do it themselves. We we told them. And this is one thing that you absolutely have to understand. If you haven't done one yourself, it is a crap load of work. Yes, it is. It is so much work. If you're gonna it's do work, one, your, if you're gonna do one, your, yeah, the whole, uh, yeah. There's if just you're so gonna do one to yourself, make sure that you start with something small so that yeah. you get an understanding of the time and the energy that it takes. And you cannot, under any circumstances, put it off. Mm-mm. Because once, once you're done hanging it, and once you're ready to go, it has a, it's a project that has to be finished. Correct. You can't just throw it back in the freezer and then say, I'm going to pull that back out, finish cutting it up later. It's, it's a process that has to be done. But something else, too, a, kind of a deciding factor of whether you do it yourself or, you, or whether you have somebody do it for you really shouldn't be the money. No. Unless you just don't have the money for, for a, a processor. But one thing that I think that we've already established on this podcast in previous is we don't hunt for sustenance anymore. 
it is we don't hunt because we can't afford beef we don't hunt because it's a cheaper way of getting meat it's just not the case anymore. it's not absolutely <laughs> you know if, if you think that you're saving money by getting a deer you're not because it's cheaper to go to the grocery store and buy a freaking absolutely. When, absolutely when you do the numbers and rodney does the numbers yes when you add up your time your gear your fuel um your licenses the time that you spend out in the field scouting mm-hmm. hunting etc the time that you or the money that you spend on a processor uh, that is by far one of the most expensive meals that you will ever eat. I know the exact dollar of what that costs. Mm-hmm. A marriage. <laughs> <laughs> That's a half. That's a half. It's half of it. That's a... <laughs> um, but, yeah. but Rodney's exactly right. We don't sustenance hunt anymore. Um, and... Anybody who says that they're doing that is probably lying to you, but you you probably can, okay? You probably can if if you go out there in blue jeans and your red and black plaid shirt that yep. you already own, yep. and you hand me down rifle, rifle and and stuff like that. And you shoot a buffalo, then, then <laughs> and and you know you don't buy all the fancy mm-hmm. camping gear and you don't. You know, you, you hunt close to home. You so can do it on the minimalist, but minimalist budget. Yeah, you, yeah. You can, you can, but that's going to take you a lot of effort. <laughs> so <laughs> you what know? what you save in money, you will end up paying in sweat equity. Yeah. Yes. And and, and that's and that's great. I great. Mean, you know, you know, but you know, for for, for what well, we always talk about us us everyday, uh, the the working man, working woman hunter that that we are are advocating for. Um, we're, we're not, we're not doing it. We're just not, you know, and Mm -hmm. you hunt a lot and it costs you money to hunt a lot. Mm -hmm. We don't hunt a lot, but it still costs us money to not hunt Mm -hmm. a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that's just the way of it. It it is cheaper to do it yourself than to go to a processor. Um, but you're trading money for time. You're trading money for time. And if you don't have time, you're going to have to spend that money. Um, you know, and then you're also, you're also trading, you know, if you're doing it yourself, you're not going to get burger unless you go buy a grinder. Mm -hmm. And now what are you doing? You're trading money. Mm -hmm. So, so much goes into it, but I want to get back. I want to get back onto, um, the, the, the field processing, you know, so we've, we've now taken the hide off and we've got an animal on the bone we've hung it well if you're in the field you know and and that's another consideration too because if you're in the field and you're a long hike out you might want to get it off the bone and And not drag it out yeah don't ever drag it out ever it was a poor it was a poor choice very very poor choice um but so so yeah you're probably going to want to debone it right there in the field and and then bring it out and what's the next step kyle <laughs> you're looking at me all i'm trying to figure out where you're going with that well you, uh, so we so, got on a pretty long squirrel we went we we forgot the you know we were talking about processing the field processing an animal and we were talking about gutting it and then taking the hide off well i um, think i think we fairly well covered that and and that is I mean, we can't teach. We can't sit here on this podcast and teach you how to 
how to field dress an animal that would take too long no the biggest the biggest things that we want to harp on is those three spoilers heat dirt and moisture if you can minimize those you're gonna you're gonna have better meat in the end um if you're so coming back to i think what rodney's and i think where rodney was going with this i'm just reading his mind a little bit or trying to read his mind a little bit is <clears throat> it comes back to preparation and knowing what you're what you're hunting um, if you're planning on deboning something and you've never done it before you probably ought to do a little bit of research on that and figure out what's the anatomy of the animal what are the major muscle groups because those are what you're going to be taking off of the bone is the major muscle groups um, you need to know where those major muscle groups end and start and for the most part you can kind of work that out in the field just by following muscle lines and things like that and and for the most part muscles come come apart mm -hmm. between yeah, muscle you can groups your grains. but it doesn't ever hurt to look at the anatomy of something that's even similar to it yeah and that and that's exactly where i was going you know when you're when you're in the field and you know you've got the options of you can court you can you can bring it out whole you know if you're close enough to where you can get it um, you can quarter it and put it in individual game bags and pack it out that way. And then your other option is um, to debone it and get it off the bone. And with all of these options, particularly if you skin it and then um, whether you quarter it or you debone it, you know, make sure you clean it as, as best you can. Like Kyle said, get the dirt off of it, get the hair off of it, you know. You may you may load it in your pack and then get it out and then clean it, uh, but you may want to clean it as good as you can while you're there in the field if you've got water. And I know Kyle talks about moisture, but I think most of your moisture is after. I'm talking so I'm talking about prolonged exposure to moisture. I'm not talking about yeah. If you've got a quarter and you're trying to get some some dirt and some hair off of it, you got a stream right there. Freaking dunk it in the stream. Wash as much of it off as you can, get it out, and get it hung or get it put in your pack. It's it's the prolonged exposure to the moisture that's going to cause your problems. Correct. Yeah. Sitting on the bottom of a Sitting wet in the bottom of a an wet cooler in an igloo cooler yeah. for three yeah. hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's where you're going to, or not three hours, but for you know twenty four hours or whatever. That's where you're going to find problems. Yeah. So, and I, <clears throat> you know, I. We could go on and on about this, but that's that's the basics of it, I think. Yeah, yeah, and then you know, if you if you follow these you know steps, if you do these things, you keep it clean, you keep it dry, you get the hide off, keep it cool. Um, that's what's going to lead you to having a better experience in the dining room with your harvest. Correct. And I think that's maybe one thing we didn't touch on was the preparation of the meat whenever you're looking to prepare it to eat. Um, and and that's actually pretty simple. Low and slow. Yeah. You the even before that when you're if you if you didn't do it whenever you process the animal, uh, take as much of the silver skin off as you can. That's the that's the tendon type uh, material that keeps all the muscle groups together. Um, you remove that. That's going to remove a lot of the toughness in the in the meat, and then you want to, you know, if you if at all possible, marinate it. 
and something delicious that always helps again start break down those muscles. S and P for me. S and P for me. Uh, but then you know we we should probably for for in general you're always better to to cook it low and slow, let it take its time. Um, but we'll do. We're gonna have another podcast. Yeah, on cooking, yeah, so. we will. I mean, you know, you both of you have said low and slow. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I've, I, I'm fast and short. You know, I I, I like a steak. It just it, it depends on it depends on what you're cooking. Yeah, it sure. depends on what you're cooking because I particularly a backstrap. I like to cut my backstrap into good two inch, inch and a half size yeah. steaks, and I like to hit them as hot as I can get that skillet with some butter in it and just bam sear it flip it bam sear it and but I like medium rare meat you know, mm-hmm. you know especially on a, a wild game there's nothing better to eat medium rare than wild game well and, and cooking it because there's they're very all wild game is pretty lean compared to yeah. store bought anything absolutely it, it it's a different cooking it's experience it's you know, um, you know, yeah. if you get into a bear or something like that, probably not so much. But if you're cooking deer or elk or antelope or anything like that, it's extremely lean. There's no grease, very little well, grease that comes off. Even of even, even with the bear, you know, so wild game has the fat surrounding it, mm-hmm. but like with beef, because they just stand there all day, they have fat running just right through the meat. Mm-hmm. And you don't find that with wild game eating right. bears. At all. It's, it's, you could find it in a zoo. Yeah. Marbled. Marbled. Wild game cut. Wild, wild game. No. <laughs> but yeah, you, you guys are right. It's, it's a different cooking game because um, because you don't, you, you're going to have to do it a little bit differently. Uh, even the hamburger. You, you couldn't make hamburger out of wild game based on their fat content you have to add either beef fat or pork fat and generally in a fairly large amount like 20 percent or 25 percent yeah fat yeah to I, even make that hamburger to, to make a patty pat, yeah. yes yeah well to make it hold together yeah, yeah. Exactly. i used to do 10 percent um and you just can't keep a burger together no uh, it's too lean yeah you know? so i bumped it up to 20 percent, and i like to use pork fat instead of beef fat i agree I use no fat. I everything that we grind, I don't add any any fat to it at all. I, be, but I don't make burger patties out right. of it either. You know, we use it for tacos or, right. you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I th- there there's so much to this topic, and there's nothing here that we've talked about that's groundbreaking or brand new. It's it's all been hashed over time and time again, and the information is out there, uh, but. Since you're listening, why not tell you about it? Right. <laughs> you know how Lady Gaga likes likes her meat, right? Mm. Raw, 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 raw. Good <laughs> <laughs> Lord. We can't end on that. <laughs> I was going to say, just ruin the entire podcast. Right? <laughs> um, freezing your meat. It's her two-year-old What's your what's your opinion on freezing, thawing, and refreezing? I I don't do it. If I if I thaw it, it's it's gonna be cooked. Yeah, I'll freeze that shit right back. Yeah, yeah. I uh, if 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 
if my wife knows about it, I don't refreeze it. If my wife doesn't know about it, I'll refreeze it. Really? <laughs> <laughs> but that that's the bachelor in me. I, right. I you know, I uh, I hate to let anything go to waste. So. Yeah, I've I've you know, I've 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 always heard that. Don't if you freeze it and then you thaw it out, don't you can't refreeze it. And I've never had a problem with refreezing meat. I hate cooking so much that well it, yeah. If I go to the How time, do you eat? and no wonder you have so much wild game, you can't read it because you don't cook. <laughs> it's my secret. Whatever. Yeah, it's my secret. My secret. <laughs> All right, I think we've run to the end of the rope here. Let's uh, wrap it up. We'll wrap it up and and take it out. Um, yeah, just as a recap, just. Get that get that animal cooled down. Remember those three those three spoilers: the heat, the dirt, and the moisture. Um, and if you properly handle the the carcass in the field and process it correctly, you'll never go wrong. Yeah, if you don't like it after you do, if you do it right and you still don't like it, stop hunting. I'm not advocating for anybody to not hunt, but I mean, seriously, if you don't like it um, and you're doing everything right, then maybe it's just not for you. And or, the, or, or, or donate the meat. Or, there, or there donate. And that's exactly. what I was going to yeah. go to is, is if... New Mexico's it, finally done that. And Yeah, absolutely. There are programs out there to, to allow you to donate that meat to people who need it. Um, Tax write-off? Yeah, absolutely. So, so even if you don't like it... Um, I'm gonna say if you want to continue hunting, do that. But there, don't waste it. That's yeah. what. That's no, the, don't, don't, that's don't the do that. Thing. Don't waste it. There are people out there who want it, who need it, and and um, it's just a, it's disrespectful in my mind to the animal if you go to all the trouble to learn about it and. You go to the trouble of going out and hunting for that animal and you experience all the joy in harvesting or killing that animal uh, and then you waste the animal. Yep. Don't eat, don't, don't hunt something you're not going to eat. That's, that's bad. That somebody's not going to eat. That somebody's not going to eat. That's going to go, yeah. Don't hunt something if you're going to eat. With the exception of coyotes. Use it. (laughs) Go to waste. All right. We're out. Adios. Adios. I'll make sure I get it this time. <laughs> Adios. <laughs> Adios. Muchos Garcias in La Luz. <laughs> Thanks for joining Not a Grande Outdoors podcast. Come follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about our website, www.notagrandeoutdoors.com. Adios. Adios.